Our second reading comes from Romans chapter 4, verses 5 through 12. Hear the word of God. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we pray that um, you would be present with us this morning in the proclamation of your word and in the sacrament which we will celebrate at your behest. We pray that you would illuminate our minds and show us your truth. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's been a quiet week at Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church. I had to cancel my customary... Monday morning staff meeting this week. That's because my paper was due for my course at Reformed Theological Seminary. The course was on Puritan theology. And since January, I've been immersing myself in this remarkable 16th and 17th century world, a world of deep introspection, a world of spiritual sensitivity. And my paper was due... At midnight on Monday, and I was at my office at 5 a.m. Monday morning to begin this last mad rush. And I did send off my paper two hours late, and then I limped home at 2.30 a.m. on Tuesday morning. And as far as I can tell, I got the better end of the deal because my professor is going to have to read that hot mess of of paper. I only had to write it. And so... The HVPC work week got started on Tuesday instead of Monday. I had the opportunity to visit with a couple of our members in their homes this past week, which is always sweet. And then there was the regular service planning work and the drop-in meetings at my office. Believe it or not, I even registered for my next course at the seminary and got my first book uh, for that course in the mail. On Wednesday evening, we met with... Uh, a whole group of our people here to interview a remarkable candidate uh, for the early service music position. That was very interesting. And then we had a follow-up meeting the next night to go over what we had heard in that interview and where we understand God to be leading this service. On Friday, I conducted the funeral of Lou Couplis up at John Stiles's funeral home. Joan Clover and the deacons organized a lovely luncheon afterwards here at the church lounge. 
It was really interesting, actually, to get to know Lou's son, Randy. I'd never met him before. He lives in North Carolina. He's an artist. He studied at the Kansas City Art Institute. And doggone it, if Randy didn't ask me in our rambling conversation sitting there in my office if I knew who Thomas Hart Benton was, the great American painter from my hometown, Neosho, Missouri. All of which meant that my preparation for Sunday's sermon was pushed to Saturday, which is never a good idea. And somewhere in the course of the week, I also remembered that I am scheduled to preach at 4 p.m. this afternoon, upstate New York, at the ordination and installation of Marcos Ortega, who is, as of this moment, still a member of this church. And so as soon as the second service is over, I'll dash out the door and I'll drive north, hoping not to encounter any unusual traffic along the way. So yesterday, I spent a quiet day at home trying to write two sermons side by side. I'd write a little of the first sermon, and then I'd flip to the second sermon for a while, and then I'd go mow the lawn. And then I'd write a few paragraphs of the second sermon, and flip over to the first sermon, and then I'd switch the laundry. And so it was a very leisurely Saturday at my house. But here we are, and it's Sunday morning, and we gather again to continue our sermon series through the book of Romans. We will also be welcoming new members in the early service, and we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Last week, we talked about the difference between what is owed to us and what we receive as a gift. In Romans 4, 4, the Apostle Paul says, Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Paul is trying to point out that no one receives eternal life as payment for his work because no one's work has been good enough. If we receive eternal life, it's only because it's been given to us as a gift. There's an important difference between wages and a gift. When I was a kid, my siblings and I used to get a weekly allowance, a few quarters for the chores that we did around the house, That was hard-earned money, and we usually spent it on baseball cards and penny candy. But we also regularly received birthday cards from the relatives back east. And inside those cards, we always found cash. And I mean real cash, paper money, greenbacks, which made us feel rich and loved and blessed. Typically, we got as much money on our birthdays from the aunts and uncles as we got all year long for our chores. There is a fundamental difference between wages that are owed to us and gifts which are given to us. With wages, there's a kind of reciprocity and proportionality between the labor and the payment. The worker gives his labor and the employer gives his cash. And if the proportion between the labor and the cash isn't fair, then there are hard feelings. The worker who doesn't get extra pay for extra work feels cheated. The the employer who doesn't get an honest day's work from his employee also feels cheated. With our wages, we expect to get what is fair. We expect to get what we deserve. Paul spent... The first three chapters of the book of Romans making perfectly clear that the only thing that we deserve from God 
The only recompense that would be fair is wrath and wrath and wrath. Why? Well, because we so often fail to give God what he deserves. Every day we sin and fall short of the glory of God. And yet, in spite of our failure to keep up our end of the bargain, God offers another path by which we might receive God's favor, not as wages, but as a gift. And that gift we receive by faith in Jesus Christ. By faith in Jesus Christ, our sins are washed away. Our criminal record is expunged. And by faith in Jesus Christ, we are united with him and we receive as though it were our own, the full righteousness of Christ himself. Christians really need to understand this basic truth that if we are united to Christ in faith, when God looks at us, He only sees the holiness and the victory of His Son. He doesn't see our sins or our failures. A lot of Christians have a hard time with this idea because it's so easy for them to see their own sins and failures because it's so easy for others To see their sins and failures. A lot of Christians have a hard time believing that God only sees the holiness and the victory of Christ when he looks at us. And yet that is the God's honest truth. And let me push this point just one little bit further. Not only do we need to see ourselves the way God sees us as perfectly holy by righteous, uh, perfectly holy and righteous by union with Christ. We also need to see each other This way. That's what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he says, From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul isn't saying that these people are fully sanctified or perfectly sinless, but he is saying that we need to start seeing our Christian brothers and sisters with God's eyes. We need to start seeing fellow Christians the way that God sees them, as new creations, as distinct and different from what went before. The Apostle Paul makes the distinction between what is owed to us and what we receive as a gift. And he also makes it clear that the only thing that is owed to us is God's wrath. And so when we get something other than God's wrath, we find ourselves dealing with God's grace or God's mercy or God's love, all of which come to us as an unearned gift. You might have noticed that each of our scripture readings this morning mention blessing. And I want us this morning to wrap our minds around this idea of biblical blessing. I want us to get a hold of two key features of blessings that we see in Scripture. First, blessings are contrary to what we expect from the world. And second, blessings are contrary to what we expect to receive from God's justice. Blessings are unearned paydays. Blessings are cosmic counterfactuals. Listen to Jesus' familiar words from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, 
for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Poor and mourning, meek and hungry, Jesus preached a word of comfort and encouragement to people whose hands were empty and whose hopes were few. He preached a word of comfort and encouragement to people the world had ignored and marginalized. He preached a word of comfort and encouragement to people who had no sense of entitlement, who had no expectations that things would turn out well for them. For those of us who are rich and beautiful, the world can be a kind and a lovely place. But for the forgotten and for the downtrodden, the world can be hard and cold. And so when Jesus spoke his language of blessing, he uncovers a cosmic counterfactual, a reality contrary to what we see with our eyes, a reality that is deeper and truer than the reality of the senses. In the four Beatitudes that we just read, Jesus promises future blessings for people who are presently doing without. He promises blessings that are huge, cosmic promises, the kingdom of God, inheriting the earth, even the promise that they will be satisfied should boggle our mind when we think about how often we are restless and unsatisfied. Set in opposition to the privations and sufferings of this world, Jesus gives a vision of security and comfort and fullness and plenitude in the world to come. Yes, Jesus is talking about a world that will appear after his second coming. But Jesus isn't only talking about pie in the sky when we die. Jesus is also talking about the deep spiritual reality that we begin to know that begins to open up all around us when in faith we begin to see this world with God's eyes. There's a whole lot going on all around us that we can't perceive by natural means alone. Spiritual oceans surround us like water surrounds a fish unseen by those who have no eyes to see. Spiritual symphonies engulf us like music at a concert unheard by those who don't have ears to hear. These blessings that Jesus announces in his Beatitudes are pieces of these spiritual realities. They are present but veiled in this world. They will be present and entirely unveiled in the world to come. The poor, the mourning, the meek, the hungry who are united to Christ have every reason to expect deep, rich, spiritual blessings both in this life and in the life to come. Cosmic counterfactuals to what the world is telling us. When the world tells us you're not worth anything, you won't amount to anything, the Word of God tells us you are highly favored and treasured. Your Father in heaven even knows the number of hairs on your head. When the world laughs at our grief and mocks our losses, the Word of God tells us the Lord is near to those who are discouraged. He saves those who, are, who have lost all hope. When the world bullies the meek and tramples their rights... The word of God tells us, be strong and courageous. Do not fear, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will neither leave you nor forsake you. 
When the world leaves the powerless gasping for justice and righteousness. The word of God promises that God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. When the Bible talks about blessing, it's talking about something contrary to what we expect from the world. And as children of God, we should take our cues from the word of God and not the word of the world. As children of God, we should fully expect to be blessed by God in ways that don't make sense to the world. In ways that the world would never suspect. As children of God, we should expect our lives to be deeply and richly blessed by God, saturated with goodness and order and meaning. As the children of God, we should fully expect that tomorrow will be better than today. God's blessings are contrary to what we have a right to expect from the world. But God's blessings are also contrary to what we have a right to expect from God's justice. Paul in Romans chapter 4 quotes a psalm of David which says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. And whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And that's a remarkable thing to say. Imagine the man who is in prison for crimes committed. He really did the crime and now he's really doing the time. But then the governor or the president issues a pardon and he's sent home. A free man, no criminal record. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. That's a blessing that's contrary to what we would expect to receive from God's justice. By the standard of the law of God, we would face God's wrath, but by the mercy of God and by the free gift of God's grace, which we receive by faith in Jesus Christ, we are saved from that wrath. What a blessing. What an unexpected outcome. What an undeserved boon. Blessings are unearned paydays. Blessings are cosmic counterfactuals. In 2 Corinthians 9.8, Paul writes, God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That is God's promise To us today. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we do love you. And we do honor you. And we thank you for your love for us. And we thank you that you bless us. And pour out unexpected gifts upon us. Lord, we pray this day that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would have the faith to cling to Christ. To be united to Christ. That our eyes and our ears would be open to these spiritual realities that are all around us. That we would not be confused and distracted by what the world is telling us. But that we would know that we are yours and that we are cared for and that we are covered and that we are blessed. Lord, this day, give us the faith to receive the blessings that you have for us. And use us as we go out from this place to be a conduit a blessing to many other people. This we pray in Jesus' name, who is our hope and our salvation. Amen.